Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we talk about how leftist organizations can protect their political work from cancel culture and wreckerism. Welcome back to fucking canceled. Welcome back to fucking canceled. Um, so I guess before we get into it, um, we announced in a previous episode about our trip to the UK. Unfortunately, the event um, that we were going to be doing in Brighton is cancelled. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. It was cancelled. Um, basically, yeah, the venue ended up pulling out. They weren't able to host us. So, if anyone does have, like, direct leads to places um, in Brighton that could host us, like, we are open to hearing about that, you can email us at fuckingcancelled.gmail.com. No you and fucking two L's and cancelled. Um, but we can't really put that much work into it because we're not in the UK and having the cancel culture conversation over and over again is very annoying. So if you like have an in, feel free to get in touch. But otherwise, our event in London is still on. Yeah. Um, just go to that. Yeah. So you can definitely go to that. And, um, for tickets to that, um, there's a link to get the tickets in my Instagram bio. So just search Clementine Morgan on Instagram and you can click the link in bio and get uh, some tickets to the London event. Is there any other announcements? Yes. What? What is it? Oh, yeah. I just dropped my zine. Oh, my, yeah. My third issue of my zine. Yeah. Um, what else is there to live for you so you can go buy that and read it? Yeah. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Wherever you are. I high-key recommend Jay's writing. It is poignant. Poignant? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, you can get it at fuckingcancel.bigcartel.com. And we are also currently... Waiting on a run, uh, the second run of the Fuck the Police means we don't have, like, cops to each other shirts, so those are going to go up soon-ish. So, yeah, I think that's probably it for the announcements, except for, um, support us on Patreon. Yeah, go to Patreon and give us your money. <laughs> Patreon.com slash fucking cancelled. Um, we really appreciate it because doing the pod's a lot of work and we want to be able to invest more time in it. So if you believe in what we're doing, we really appreciate the support. Alright, I think that's good. Yeah. So that being said, um, Clementine recently did a cool talk with an organization um, that wanted to talk to her about basically like cancel culture proofing their org, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just walking Clover the dog, the person, um, <laughs> recently uh, today, and Clementine started ranting about it. Um, in a positive way. In a positive and passionate manner. Um <laughs> And I was like, we should just go home and turn on the microphone and just talk about this. Yeah. Um, because whenever Clementine starts ranting in a positive and passionate manner, it's good fodder for potting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we're doing today. All right. So we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So you want to give us the set up, set the scene here. What, what are we talking here? Okay. So basically, you know, for a long time, we've talked about it on this podcast too. Like I have been feeling really depressed, we both have been feeling really depressed about wanting to feel involved in, like, leftist organizing and wanting to do something useful towards the many serious issues that are going on in the world today, primarily climate change, but also the general plight of capitalist realism that we are living under. And so, um, you know, but it's really hard to get involved with, like, organizing because organizations these days are so dysfunctional and are barely functioning at all very often. Um, and so I have been thinking a lot about how can I help? Like, what could I do to, to effectively help the left? And like, once again, we always circle back to this issue that like, there are a lot of people who are ready and willing to organize and who want to put in the effort to do that kind of work. But that the stuff that we talk about on this podcast, the nexus, cancel culture, identitarianism, and also kind of a third thing called wreckerism, which we're calling it wreckerism, um, are coming together to um, to really prevent people from organizing effectively on the left. And so we all know that this is true. Like, you see and hear about 
like little, you know, demos happening or orgs popping up and then you hear about them fucking imploding um, due to accusations coming either from inside the organization itself or from outside of it. And we've heard this in unions. We've heard it in environmental groups. We've heard it in, you know, pretty much any kind of organizing that you can think of. Yeah. And it's really, really fucking depressing because, like, now more than ever, we need to be organizing effectively, especially on the issue of the environment, and we're, like, fucking unable to because we keep, like, shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, it seems to be especially prevalent with environmentalist groups for whatever reason. Yeah, it super, super is. Yeah. And so, basically, I had the idea where I was like, look, maybe what I can do to help is to offer to talk to leftist organizations or leftist projects of any kind for free and just, like, talk to them for an hour and give them some language, some frameworks, some ways of thinking about this stuff, and also give them, like, you know, the opportunity to talk about it, you know, to name the elephant in the room and to actually, like, talk about this phenomenon that organizers are definitely aware of and are definitely afraid of. Right, because part of the issue is that nobody has the... Nobody has the words to talk about this because, like, the first rule of cancel culture is you're not allowed to talk about cancel culture. Yeah. So it's, like, you know, people, even if it's, like, literally occurring right in front of them, they're like, oh, man, I'm not even allowed to, like, name this, yeah. you know? Um, or maybe you see it occurring right in front of you, but you don't really know what it is. Like, that's also the case sometimes, especially with, like, the boomers and so yeah. on. Yeah, and I think that, like, a lot of people, you know, they... Like, they're dedicating hours of their life, you know, putting in so much time and energy, taking big risks, getting arrested, doing all sorts of stuff, um, trying to create positive change, but they're living with this kind of, like, anvil that's, like, about to fall, and they don't know if at any moment all of their political work is just going to go up in flames, Um, and I think a lot of organizers are just dealing with this by sort of putting their head down and, like, kind of hoping it's just not going to happen to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, if it starts to happen, they they start doing the whole, like, well, we'll just take accountability. And, like, you know, they, ho- they think that if they take accountability and do what is demanded of them, then maybe it'll be okay. But as we've talked about on this podcast many times, um, it's usually, if not always, not okay, and it gets worse. So, um, yeah, I was just like, I think, you know, organizers would benefit from a space to talk about this, a space, you know, a private space within the organization itself to have this conversation, and also, you know, to talk about it with someone who, one, is not high-key triggered (laughs) just from talking about it, you know, because, like, I'm pretty relaxed at this point. I've talked about it constantly, and I am not having a nervous system reaction from just talking about it. Anymore. Anymore. And then also someone who has, like, some knowledge, some frameworks, like, some, you know, some ideas. Expertise. All the expertise about how the fuck to deal with this phenomenon. Okay. So, okay, so one of these organizations... Okay, wait, but I didn't even explain... Well, maybe it's not that important, but basically (laughs) I... So I had this idea, and then I posted just, like, on my Instagram stories and was like, look, I'm offering this, you know, Jay might hop on some of them if, if they have time, but I was like, I'm offering this service to any leftist org that wants it, it's free, get in touch, and basically tons of um, orgs have reached out, like, a bunch, um, so much so that I'm like, I, I have to, like, postpone scheduling until, like, November at this point because I'm traveling and stuff, but I'm doing as many as I can, and a bunch, there's a lot of interest, so... That is really promising and cool that organizers are willing to even have this conversation, right? And I just did the first one. So now I've set the scene. (laughs) Okay. Great. Okay. So one of these groups reaches out, you say yes, um, and you do, like, a Zoom meeting with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know, like, why this group asked you to do this meeting with them? So for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to keep it anonymous and not, like, you know, name any of the individual groups that have reached out to me, just, you know, because it's controversial and so on. But um, I'll be vague and say that this group had experienced a public call-out, an open letter, um, as so many, you know, organizations have had people posting things, um, having public call-outs and open letters written about them, and basically... um, trying to initiate a cancellation campaign against the org. Right. Okay, and so they were mainly asking you to do this talk because they had been sort of, like, called out publicly and they didn't know what to do about it? Yeah, and I think kind of larger than that, like, yes, there's this specific circumstance that's going on, but also larger than that, they're aware, like, that it's an issue, you know? Like, they know that um, 
they've seen other orgs go down, you know, and they are concerned and they don't want their organization to fold or implode or not be able to be effective because of this call-out that happened. Right. And you mentioned that their makeup was um, sort of surprisingly boomery. There was a large number of boomers present. Um, do you think that that impacted in any way, like, their their willingness to talk about this kind of thing with you? I mean, I don't necessarily think so, because I guess we'll see when I see the other groups, mm. but there's been a number of groups that have reached out, so I can't imagine that they're all boomers. Right, right, right. Okay, so then, okay, so basically you gave them, like, a talk, um, and then you had, like, a question and answer, is that right? Yeah, so for the first half an hour, I gave a talk and introduced some themes, concepts, frameworks, ideas, and then for the second half... I answered their questions. So you were telling me that basically, like, you did a sort of, like, vocabulary session and sort of, like, you know, what what do all these words mean and what am I even talking about um, section, which I imagine we don't really need to get into on this podcast because everybody kind of knows. Um, but you also mentioned some interesting things. You were talking about um, – what were you talking about? You were talking about, like, principles, is that what you said? Um, solidarity. Uh, oh, primary purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to tease out some of those things. So basically, like, um, this framework of solidarity um, as a sort of, like, positive framing of, like, instead of being, like, we're, like, anti-woke or, like, anti-cancel culture, like, Clementine and I have been talking about how we're, we would really prefer to be just, like, pro-solidarity, you know? I mean, I definitely am anti-cancel culture. And well, not. yes, of course, but, yeah. like, to constantly be sort of, like, framing it that way can feel limiting, I feel, at least for me, you know? To me, it's both. Like, I feel like we do need to be overtly anti-cancel culture, but we can also be pro-solidarity at the same time. Right, sure. Okay, so you want to talk about what solidarity is? Sure. In this um, context, I mean? Yeah. You don't think I should say anything about the f- the first part, about the terms and everything? Or at least maybe outline what they were? Well, sure, if you want to. So, basically, like, just, you know, it was, it was like a 101, so I just wanted to keep it quite simple for people, but I introduced the concept of cancel culture, which we all, I'm assuming, know what that is, um, if you're listening to this podcast at this point. Um, but I also introduced the concept of wreckerism, which is something that I feel like we've talked about on the podcast less. Mm, right, right, right. And I think that... Um, Wreckerism is kind of just a name that we're using to describe a phenomenon that, once again, does not have a name, as so often is the case within cancel culture. I would say that wreckerism is kind of like a type of cancel culture, in mm. a way. Okay. And it is more like when cancel culture is directed at an organization. Right. Or when cancellations are used within an organization to disrupt its polit- political work. Um, and, like, whether or not that's happening intentionally, you know, it's still the end result of what is happening. Um, the, the org is wrecked. Like, the org is no longer able to function and carry out its goals due to the fact of either external or internal cancel culture shenanigans. Um, and right. so I think that it is kind of important to have a distinct term for that from cancel culture because it is a bit different than what we generally talk about when we are talking about cancel culture. How do people react to uh, recordism as a concept? I mean, they were taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like they were like they 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 knew what you were talking about? Yes, or, yeah. I definitely feel like everybody knew what I was talking about. I mean, they didn't have this language for it, but like, yeah, people people were definitely like nodding their heads and taking notes, and it felt like you know there was a consensus that people were um, aware of this phenomenon and had some experience with it. So yeah, and then and then I talked actually kind of substantially about identitarianism right. because I feel that. Identitarianism is, like, very often something that people are maybe most afraid to challenge. um, For sure. Because people, leftists, organizers, you know, like, people who are dedicating their time and energy to try to make the world a better place, who are, like, you know, deeply on the left, they hold very sincere values about opposing dehumanization. Yeah. You know? And so they want to be really careful and they want to value people's lived experience and they want to take, you know, racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera, seriously. Right? And so I think a lot of people are very anxious that, like, any critique of identitarianism is immediately going to lead us to the right um, or is going to... um, you know, result in our organizations not taking various types of dehumanization seriously. Yeah. Um, and so, and also, you know, opposing or pushing back against identitarianism in any way, shape, or form is, like, a surefire way to get canceled. Yeah, or at the very least, at least, like, extreme conflict. Yeah. yeah. And so, 
so yeah, I really felt like it was important to spend a bunch of time talking about identitarianism, which we have had an episode on the podcast about if people want to go back and listen to that one. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, like, kind of the, you know, the main sort of takeaway that I wanted to give this group um, or people who are doing organizing is just the idea that, like, you actually can um, disagree with people who are basing their arguments in identity or in lived experience. Mm. Because within the nexus and within identitarianism, it's kind of like a, a got you, right? Like, if somebody grounds a critique or a call-out in their lived experience as someone who is marginalized in some capacity, basically the rule is is that you're not allowed to question that, and to do so makes you oppressive, violent, causing harm, right? Because right? you're, you're silencing voices. Right. Um, but that premise is based on the idea that that one person speaking is speaking on behalf of their group. Right. Which fundamentally takes us back to essentialism and the idea that it is possible for one person to speak on behalf of an identity group that perhaps has millions or billions of people in it. Yeah. So as leftists, I think we should challenge that idea. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to, you know, whatever the person is saying, but you, but you should temper it by being like, this is one perspective that is being given to me by someone in this identity by group. By an individual person. In yeah. this identity group, or maybe a group of people yeah. in this identity group. But are there other things being said on this topic, you know? And, yeah. like, you should branch out and you should, like, look, you know, broadly on the left to see what various people of various identity groups, including the one in question, are saying on this topic. And you're bound to find that there is some uh, disagreement and debate that has been going on that is probably being suppressed um, within the current contemporary nexus context. So I was basically just trying to empower people to to feel like, you know, that that was not a door closing. Yeah. And that there was still the possibility of saying, like, I hear that critique and, like, there's other things being said about it and there still needs to be discussion and it's not just, like, the final word has been said. For sure. For sure. So, which, yeah. Which is something that everyone's, like, actually already familiar with. It's, like... I know, mean, sort of, but also kind of not really. Well, no, they are because I think... Everyone, like, on the left is familiar with this in the context of, like, TERFs and also Zionists who, like, constantly frame their, all of their arguments in terms of their, like, identities as putatively, like, oppressed people, you know? And yet, on the left, like, almost all of us, at least in North America, you know, like, understand that, like, just because people say that they are being, you know, victimized, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily correct and that we should agree with everything they say. Like, Right. But, you know? but there's some kind of emotional block, I think, that prevents people from extending that in a logical way to, like, other situations. Exactly, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that was basically the terms and the sort of frameworks that I was sharing with them. And then to get to your question, which I I decided to answer a different question that you didn't ask. Um, <laughs> this is what it's like interviewing content. <laughs> um, so you were asking. So, yeah, the second part was more me trying to... Um, take a positive approach, like you were saying, to try to give people uh, positive framings that they can use um, and and things to do instead of just folding or, you know, being, quote, accountable and just doing whatever you're told. Um, ways to, within your org, get back to work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, focus on what it is that you're here to do. So there was a few things that I talked about. Um, one was the concept of principles, which we talked about at length in the first episode, but basically that, like, individuals should know what their principles are and also organizations should, too. Like, leftist orgs should know what are their guiding principles and, like, you know, um, that way you can check your behavior against them and, like, if there's conflicts within the org, you can, like, use those principles to guide you to see, like, what you're doing Um, and if if people are behaving in a way that is in alignment with the principles. Um, And then a very important principle is the principle of solidarity. So you were asking me about solidarity. Yeah, so... You and I have talked a lot about solidarity as a really important and useful kind of like grounding principle um, because, yeah, like I think that a lot of the things that people try to do with these various like methods of like accountability and these like big lists of rules and like whatever that, that people end up like creating in the context of organizations um, can actually just be encompassed by the concept of solidarity, you know, um, and 
solidarity also has this useful component where like um it applies to many different kinds of behavior um regardless of people's identities right so it's like the example that i give sometimes is like you know like yeah if there's you know, if there's, like, a guy in an organization who is, like, I don't know, um, treating all the women around him like servants and, like, you know, like, never does the dishes or some shit like that, you know, like, y- you can point out that that is, like, it's kind of counter-solidaristic, you know, mm-hmm. it's, like, he is not contributing to the overall solidarity of the group, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it functions in a similar way that a sort of, like, call-out might, you mm-hmm. know? Um, or a set of, like, weird identitarian rules. Or a set of weird identitarian rules. But also, it applies to, you know, someone saying, um, someone trying to get that guy kicked out of the group because he sort of, like, you know, said something they don't like or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. th- that would also be sort of, like, against, like, the sort of understanding of solidarity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, it has to be kind of adjudicated. Like, someone has to, like, look at the situation and be like, hmm, like, we need to think about this in various ways, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but solidarity gives you a kind of framework for dealing with people's behavior and seeing, like, do we like this behavior or not? Like, how how, how do we feel about this behavior? Um, so, yeah, all that being said, um, how did you kind of talk about it to this group? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that is, is very on point. I don't know if I talked about this when I was talking to the group, but what always comes to mind for me with the concept of solidarity is the slogan that they have um, in NA where they're like, as, as long as the ties that bind us together are stronger than those that would tear us apart, all will be well. Right. Um, which I always thought was really beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, solidarity is the idea of like having, like having your common interests like at the forefront, you know? Yes. And, and also another thing I think we've talked about on the podcast that also comes out of 12 steps is the idea of like looking for your common ground and your similarities instead of constantly focusing on your differences Exactly. Yeah. and being like, do we have enough here? Do we have enough in common to, to put our differences aside to the best of our ability and, and to work together, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and often this will mean, you know, working with people who you don't like. Yeah. It will mean working with people who might be ignorant about things that are important to you. Yeah. It will mean um, really kind of sometimes extending your capacity um, to kind of put up with things that you might find a little bit annoying um, in order to be able to to work with people. And that goes, like, both ways. Like, it's not just, you know, the, the Nexons that have to extend that grace. Like, it's it's both ways. It's like everybody there is being asked to, to extend a little bit. Yeah. You know, and to extend past their comfort zone to work with people who are different from themselves, who are coming from different cultural backgrounds, from different ideologies sometimes, like, different framings, you know? Right. And, like, where is the common ground? And, like, I don't know, like, I I think I talked about this maybe when I was talking to the group, but one time when I was going on about, like, solidarity and, like, basically, like, left unity um, on Instagram, somebody commented, and I think they were, like, some type of anarchist, and they were like, well, I'm not working with those tankies, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, my um, my response is I was like, you know, I'm sure that both you and the tankies would like a planet. <laughs> to, to not work together on? Yeah, like, I think you would both agree that it would be nice to have a planet to live on. Yeah. And, and that if anything, should be some pretty strong fucking common ground. Yes. The idea that the fucking planet, like, that we might not have a planet that can be, you know, have human, that can support human life, um, is a big fucking common ground. It's literally the ground. Um, and so <laughs> it is the ground that we literally all are currently on. Yeah. And so, you know... I, I really think, like, being that broad and being like, can we agree on that? Like, can we put our differences aside to try to work together towards those goals as much as we possibly can? And, like, obviously, you know, sometimes there are going to be differences that are really big. Um, but, like, I was saying this in one of the questions that I, that I answered. It's like, when you're taking the approach of solidarity and there's some kind of conflict, you look at it and you first start with the question of, like, is it possible for us to, if we can't agree, like, say we've tried to discuss it and we've tried to come to a place of agreement about it and we just cannot agree. We don't agree on this thing. Okay, well then, is there a way for us to work together anyway? Mm-hmm. Is there enough that we do agree on Yeah. for us to work together anyway? And can we just put a pin in the things that we're not agreeing on right now yeah. so that we can focus on the things that we do agree on right for sure which i think is like a it's like a skill and also just like the the will to do it yeah um is is 
severely lacking, right? Um, we're not taught to do that. Yeah. Um, it's not valorized at all. But it's um, so important. But it's super fucking important. Yeah. And then, like, you know, so that was, like, the first level. It's like, can you guys can you guys find enough common ground to actually work together? And, like, ideally, yes. Like, that that should be the goal of solidarity. Like, as much as possible, we should be working together, even if we aren't agreeing on everything. If we have enough common ground, we should be. If there's, like, a lot of disagreement or, like, maybe, like, a lot of interpersonal stuff going on, maybe then the org could be like, hey, could you guys both be working within the org but kind of separately? Yeah. Right? So you're both kind of working towards the same ends of the goal, like, but maybe you're, you're doing different things within the org so that you guys don't have to cross paths necessarily if you're having a lot of interpersonal shit. Or maybe it's like one part of what the org is doing is more in ideological alignment with one person and the other is with someone else and you don't totally agree in the middle, but like you can both feel okay working on some separate project. Great. You know, as long as some work is getting done and you're working towards the general, you know, <laughs> betterment um, of the world. So there's like that. And then finally, it's like if, if you really reach a crossroads where you're like, no, like we are fundamentally at odds here. Like there's some major ideological disagreement that makes us unable to work together. Um, can you part ways and allow each other to both continue your separate work? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that this is so um, difficult for people, but it's like this is where humility comes in, right? Yeah. Because I'm like, guys... Why are we all so fucking sure that we know everything? Yeah. We're in dire fucking straits right now. For real. We need all hands on deck. For real. We need everybody trying everything that they can think of. Yeah. And so, you know, you might be like, no, I really don't agree with that. I don't think that that's the right strategy or, like, there's pieces of it that really just do not land with me. Fine. Then do your own thing that you really, really think is the best thing and let those other people try this because, you know, we need to do something and nothing is currently working. So I would rather have everybody fucking trying whatever they can. So that's sort of like the the approach and the the framing that I was putting forth with solidarity. Um, yeah, it's it's not always the best um, analogy, but I do really like thinking about this in 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 terms of like twelve step groups and you know I just think about like the story of AA and NA for example you know where like. You know, AA used to be, like, somewhat hostile to drug users, or not not necessarily hostile, well, sometimes probably, but, like, mostly just, they were like, well, this is about alcohol, so, I don't know, do mm-hmm. your thing, you know? But there was drug addicts who were going to AA, you know? Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, like, enough of them were sort of like, well, maybe we need, like, maybe this, like, isn't working for us exactly, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead of being like, fuck AA, we're gonna, yeah. like, destroy AA, they're like, we're gonna make our own thing called NA, yeah. and it's gonna be, like, kind of based on similar, like, ideas yeah. and stuff, and, like, use a lot of the same, like, whatever, like, principles and, and literature and shit, but it's going to be, like, different, you know? Yeah. And it's going to be beside AA, not, like, instead of, yeah. or, like, replacing, totally. or, like, against AA, you know? And agreeing to, like, cooperate and have goodwill towards each other. Yeah. Or it also reminds me how, like, you know, within AA... There was, you know, different sort of, like, identity groups and stuff who were, like, well, maybe it would be good if we had, like, a meeting, like, on the reservation that's, like, only for, like, indigenous people, you know? Mm -hmm. And instead of, like, yeah, like, again, instead of, like, tearing down, like, the entire concept of AA, it was just, like, there are, like, special interest groups within AA, totally. you know? There's, like, women's meetings and, like, queer meetings. And totally. So on, and, know? like, you know, there's there's meetings that are, like, quite Christian, and, like, some people were like, look, I, I'm not down with this. Like, I don't want to be saying the Lord's Prayer. But instead of being like, you guys can't say the Lord's Prayer at this meeting, it was like, we're going to make a different meeting where we don't say the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, you just right? your own. This yeah. is called Live and Let Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, and so, as organizers... You know, I think we need to practice some humility and we need to understand that there are going to be diversity of tactics, there are going to be different strategies, and you might personally think that that strategy sucks. Fine, you can have your fucking analysis about it. You can have your book club about it. You can write your essays, making your arguments that you think that this is not the best strategy or whatever. But let the fucking organizers organize. Yeah. Which brings us to this concept of the primary purpose, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important. And, like, again, like, we're constantly thinking about shit through, like, a 12-step lens, but there's a reason for that, you know? It's that, like, you know, 12-step groups have existed for, like, a century um, with, like, almost no, like, like leadership yeah. or, like, organization of any sort, you know? They're, like, very, very sort of, like, non-hierarchical and, like, loosey-goosey and yet continue to exist. Like, how is this, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons, you know, is that there is this primary purpose yeah. of, of 12-step fellowships. Yeah. They have one goal. 
you know, and everything is united around that one goal. And the goal is to like carry the message to people the who, are, who still suffers. people who are still suffering. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to make sure that the group continues to exist so that those people can have access to it. Yeah. Um, and so like, basically if there's anything at all that is happening that doesn't serve that primary purpose, people are like, okay, well this doesn't serve the primary purpose, you know? Yeah. So what's the, what are we even talking about this for? Right. Yeah. Um, and it also ensures that like, yeah, well, d- that different groups can pop up and stuff, and they can do kind of like their own thing and stuff. But since they're still involved with the primary purpose, they can continue to be part of this movement. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and you know, when I think about, I, I think about like, you know, the fact that there's like twelve or sixteen, whatever, like kind of like revolutionary socialist parties and stuff, like in Quebec alone, right? Um, these little like splinter groups and like these like communist parties and whatever. Um, and I'm, I look at all these groups and I'm like, there is, like, no good reason why you can't all be, like, working together. Mm-hmm. There's no good reason. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, I don't really care if you don't agree on, like, the Cuba question, yeah. right? Like, we are trying to build a socialist society here. Obviously, there's things to be ironed out. You know what I mean? But, like, if you can't, like, work with someone who agrees on, like, 99.8% yeah. of, like, the things that you believe in, then, like, th- there's absolutely no hope. Yeah. There's no hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And one of the things that these groups lack, I think, is yeah. this concept of a primary purpose. Yeah. Right? Because, like, realistically, if they were serious people, um, I think some of them think of themselves as serious people, but when I look at these groups, I'm like, you're not serious people. Yeah. If they were serious people, they would have an understanding of a primary purpose, and they would dedicate themselves towards it. And what that would mean would be working with people who they slightly disagree with. Yeah. And, and putting aside silly differences. Yeah. And putting aside their own, like, standing in whatever, like, little organization they happen to be, like, the kingpin of. Yeah. Um, so anyways, all that being said, um, you were telling me when we were walking that you sort of introduced this concept of the primary purpose to the group. Um, is there anything that you wanted to add to what I was just ranting about? Yeah. I mean, it kind of came to me spontaneously, the idea that, like, the primary purpose was actually, like, a really good framework for thinking about this stuff. Um, because basically it's like, you know, in orgs, you know, there can be endless meetings, there can be endless conflict and endless discussions, you know, there can be so much like micromanaging of like different things and you can get caught up, especially in like anything that's a bit anarchist. Um, you could be discussing everything for hours, right? Yeah. And, and if the idea is that like, yeah, we need to be getting to consensus on every little issue, like you were saying, you could spend the rest of your life doing that, you know? So we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of energy. Organizers are usually also doing this for free on top of their day jobs. Yeah, almost always, yeah. Um, And so are we using our time effectively, right? right? And this is like, are we being... Are we being effective with how we are using our time and our energy in our organizations? And so a kind of, like, good way of doing that and of, like, looking at that question is to be, like, what is our primary purpose and is what we are doing right now in service of that primary purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Or is it taking away from the primary purpose, Right. right? And so, you know, like, what the primary purpose is could vary, you know? From organization to organization, obviously, right? If you are an organization that is dedicated to um, fighting climate change, like, that's your primary purpose, you know? If you are an organization that is, um, you know, like, working for, like, housing rights in your city, like, that is your primary purpose, right? And so when someone wants to have a meeting that takes, you know, four hours and is, you know about, like, some, like, small language thing about, like, something that was on a flyer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, you know, they want to um, demand that the org take part in, like, an accountability process against someone who is being accused of something that they did in their personal life. Right. That has nothing to do with anything going on inside the organization. Right. But because of cancel culture, that person is seen as inherently danger- dangerous and contagious, right? Right. It's like, is the org getting involved with that? Does that have anything to do with the primary purpose of the org? Right. Is the org an arbiter mm-hmm. of that person's innocence or guilt? Right. When did they? When did this org that is that is like you know um, that came together to fight climate change? When did they become responsible for figuring out whether or not somebody is an abuser? Right. And and how are they even um, capable qualified or, or qualified yeah. to do that work, right? right? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And, you know, people get very upset about this, and they're like, well, you can't work with abusers. Well, why not? Spicy take. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I agree that abuse should not be happening in the organizing space. I agree that people should be working hard to keep each other safe. You should keep your, your friends and your community and your comrades safe as much as you can, you know? You should definitely have, like... Um, like, conversations about this type of stuff and, like, depends on the situation and on the organization and what kind of things you guys are doing together, you know? If yeah. there's more of, like, a social element, then, like, for sure, like, there needs to be, like, some level of awareness about interpersonal abuse stuff. But actually, it is basically always in service of the primary purpose to have as many hands on deck as possible, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe there's a question of like, okay, this person was accused of abuse and also the person who is making the accusations, they're both a member of the org. So now the person who's making the accusations is not feeling welcome. Okay, so how do we have all hands on deck? Is there a way that we can like implement boundaries so that these two people can both work with the org separately? Mm. You know, And so these types of questions are more strategic and it's about how do we bring as many people as possible in service of solidarity, in service of the goal of our primary purpose, how do we all work together? Even though people are fucking messy, even though people don't always agree, even though there's interpersonal conflict, and even though some people literally are abusers and have done some fucked up shit, you know? Yeah. Um, Plenty of people have done fucked up shit, so if you want a mass organization... You literally have to work with people who have been abusive. I am sorry. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna involve people with messy pasts. Yeah. Um, something is occurring to me as we talk about this, yeah. which I think is interesting. It's that... Recorism, in large part, can be described as the process of people trying to replace a group's primary purpose with their own completely different primary purpose. And often, what their primary purpose is, is to turn everything into the nexus. Yeah. And basically, it's like there's an organization that's like, we want to stop really old trees from getting cut down. Yeah. And people are like, well, what if instead we tried to stop abuse? Yeah. Or they're like, what if instead we, we like... We tried to end white supremacy. Yeah. Or we, like, did a bunch of pronoun stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, those are all... Things that you could things do. Things that you could do, but that isn't the primary purpose of the group yeah. that we were in, right? Um, and in many ways, it detracts from that yeah. primary purpose and to like, be engaging in... Especially when, like, the, the you know, the, the toolkit involved is just, like, witch hunting. Yeah. And, like, two... Is it? Do you know if it's Iron Man them or Steel Man them? I think I always said Iron Man, but I think it's actually Steel, steel Man. Okay, well, whatever. To to Steel Iron Man them, <laughs> um, like which means to like to like basically try to imagine what they would argue back. Their best argument, yeah, that you can think of. Like yeah. what I think they would say in response to this, you know, those who are in favor of this kind of recordism behavior, is that. They would say, well, no, like, in order for for us to have solidarity and in order for us to do the work of the primary purpose, you know, we can't be driving out these marginalized people who don't feel safe, right? Like, that's Mm. what they would argue. And so they would say, no, you guys are the ones who are detracting from the movements because your your movements are just, like, riddled with all these problematic people and all these abusers. And so the marginalized people don't feel safe. And so you can't actually do your work. And so, like, we actually need to, you know, remove all the harm before we can go forward, right? Right, right. Which obviously constructs marginalized people, first of all, as um, an opposite group from people who cause harm. Yes. <laughs> when obviously it would be a, 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 a very tight Venn diagram because, yeah. like, the people who cause harm is just people. Yeah. Right? Um, it also um, constructs marginalized people as, like, extremely fragile and just, like, unable to handle sort of, like, real-life conflict. Yeah. Right? Um, and yeah, I mean, it also lacks any kind of specificity. Like once again, everything is blurred together. Like, what are we talking about here? You know, when we're saying that space is unsafe, are we talking about like a guy comes into the meeting and he fucking picks up the table and throws it across the room? Because yeah, if that was the case, I would agree. This is detracting from the primary purpose. Yes. That guy is not allowed to come to anywhere. I mean, maybe he, (laughs) maybe when he comes down. (laughs) Yeah. Like we got to figure out what's going on with him, you know, and maybe try to get him some help. Yeah. But at this current time with that behavior, you know, you are frightening people, possibly injuring them, and it's hard to, to hold a meeting when you're doing that. So yes, understandable. But because we we are talking about harm and, and safety in these like incredibly vague ways, this now gets extrapolated to, you know, this guy has been accused of like being an abuser, but what they mean by that is like there's like some vague allegations from like his intimate partners who he used to be with. Right. And I'm like, are you unsafe at the meeting? Right. Like, and it's a real question, and I think that people get really fucking triggered when we when we put this forward. 
But it's like, are you actually unsafe being in the presence of someone who has accusations of abuse against them in an interpersonal context when you're in like a public meeting context and you're not dating that person? Yeah. Like actually probably not. Yeah. Like unless he's the guy who's throwing the table, who's having like violent outbursts kind of in general. That's a different kind of thing. And it doesn't mean that there's no context or place in which that should be addressed. But I don't actually think that the organizing meeting is it, you know? And I think that we need him on board. And like, you, like you know, we already said, like, if him being there, the, the person, you know, his ex is also in the org, okay, fair enough. You know, maybe she really doesn't want to be around him. And maybe there's a way to facilitate that. Yeah. Ideally, there's a way to facilitate that where both people can be involved and kept separately. And I wish that we would strategize on these types of things instead of just immediately doing, like, the witch hunting to try to drive everyone out. And, like, I also think, yeah, like, another way that the the harm and safety stuff, you know, gets totally blurred is, like, something like, you know, somebody who is kind of flippant about pronouns or, like, doesn't understand them or kind of goes, like she, oh, sorry, they, are like, whatever, you know? Like, yeah. it's like some boomer guy who does that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I get it. It's it's not the greatest behavior. It's a bit rude. Um, you could have a talk with him about that and maybe explain to him, you know? And actually, you know, if you did, you might be able to find out different ways where he's kind of feeling disrespected in the meeting, too. Yeah. You know? You might find ways in which the young, or I guess we're not so young anymore. I was almost like the young millennials. Um, <laughs> the youths. <laughs> the 39-year-old youths. <laughs> you know, the millennials and the Zoomers, like, are making him feel uncomfortable because of, like, weird behaviors that they're doing towards him and assumptions that they're making about him, right? Right. So, look, if we have, like, an attitude of generosity across the board, you know, and we also understand that a person making a bit of a rude comment about pronouns is literally not the same thing as violence, you know, and that people can build resilience and, and work together with people who are, you know, quite different from one another, I think that we can find a lot of common ground and we can work together towards our primary purpose. Yeah, hell yeah. Okay, so then you said there was, like, a question and answer session. Do you remember any uh, good questions? Mm, I'm trying to think. I feel like I kind of talked about some of them already. Um, yeah, I mean, one, which we kind of already talked about, was just when, like, what do you do if people really can't agree on something? Right. You know, which I already kind of covered that. Um, I don't know. They asked me questions for half an hour, but I'm kind of blanking on it right now, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I also don't want to give away anything, like, very specific about the org, so I'm trying to think of things that are, like, not specific about the org. Yeah, legit. Um, but yeah, I found that their questions were brave. Yeah. Um, engaged. Yeah. Very, like, curious and also pragmatic. Nice. Like, you could really see that people were trying to figure out how to use this information practically within their organizations to shut down recordism from inside and also from outside um, and to be able to continue doing their political work, which is exactly why I was doing this. Um, and I was honestly, like, I felt... Now I just want to talk about my feelings. Is that fun? <laughs> Yeah, okay, talk about your feelings. So, to me, like, after all of this, you know, this feeling of, like, fucking despair, of, like, you know, the left is, like, so fucking fractured, and, like, leftist organizing is constantly blowing up all the time, and, like, you know, I didn't know if I made this offer, you know, if people would actually be fucking brave enough to have someone come into their organization and talk about cancel culture, you know? Right. It's a bold move. It is. Um... And a lot of orgs got in touch, you know? And with this one, like, you know, everyone there was, like, really engaging in good faith. Everyone there was, like, really, like, willing to admit that they knew that this was a real thing that was going on. And they were, like, really engaged with, like, the process of wanting to fucking figure out what to do to protect their political work that they care so deeply about, you know? Right. Um, and it really gave me some hope that I was, like, okay, like, like, we just need a way to fucking call Wreckerism what it is, mm -hmm. to name it, and to say, we're not doing that, you know? Yeah. I guess one of the questions they asked me was, like, you know, what do you do if, like, some of the critiques against against the org are legitimate and some aren't? Right. And basically, yeah, like, I was talking about, once again, in, like, 12 steps when you do, like, a, a fourth and a fifth and you, like, write down, you know, all the harms that you've caused or whatever... Um, you might write down things where people are upset with you that, like, 
you didn't actually do anything wrong, right? Mm. And so there's like a process of discernment that individuals can go through in looking at their own behavior. And I also think that there's a process of discernment that orgs can do, if necessary, you know? Right, like to determine whether or not the things that they're accused of are like things that A, actually happened, or B, are actually a problem. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and you know, sometimes maybe there could be, like, sometimes in cancellation campaigns, there's like pieces of it are true. Right. You know? But sometimes not. Like, we heard about an environmentalist group that was called, that accused of being eco-fascists, for yeah. example, and they're just, like, a bunch of, like, nice people. Yeah, who are just doing environmental work. Yeah. For sure. Um, but other times, you know, there might be, like, I don't know, I, I don't know what an example would be, but, like, say they're, like, there is this uh, dude who never washes the dishes or something. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe there are certain things that are going on that are, like, not the greatest. For sure. And, and like, you could take that feedback and be, like, cool, thanks for that feedback. You know, we're going to take it internally and, like, talk about it and see if we can implement any changes. But you don't have to agree to every single thing that you've been accused of. And I think that this is, like, one of the main things that I want, like orgs to like take away from this is that like you don't have to just bow down and say okay you're right right you can disagree with accusations against you and right. if those accusations are false you should disagree with them right you absolutely should not and this goes for individuals too obviously but you absolutely should not take responsibility for things that are untrue mm-hmm. and they do not reflect the reality of what happened mm-hmm. and so like if you get feedback and you're like that does not reflect what happened or it's not something that is wrong you know then you should say that and I honestly think that you should, you should respond, you know, to them if they're contacting you and say, you know, thank you for your feedback, but like, we don't agree. And then you should continue doing your fucking work. Yeah. You know? And if you have to, you know, if people are like, well, what about this? And are you going to make a statement about that? You should say like, in response, you should say like, um, we are a, an organization that is addressing X issue, the climate crisis, the housing crisis, you know, yeah. um, we are trying to help unions get started. Right. Um, this is what we do. It's extremely important work. Yeah. And we won't be derailed. Right. You know? Right. Um, we have internal mechanisms for us to talk through any feedback that is being given to us. You know, if it makes sense, right. we're happy to implement changes. This does not make sense. And so we are not going to waste any more time detracting from the important political work that we're doing talking about this right the end totally. you know totally and i think that like you know given the amount of organizations that got in touch with me like i think we're all just waiting for somebody to go first yeah there's also this thing that happens a lot in organizations that wreckers do right yeah. which is like often organizations already do have like internal mechanisms like the ones that you're describing to deal with conflicts or to deal with uh you know um like if somebody has, like, a, a problem with, like, what the leadership is doing or whatever. There's, like, there's like ways to deal with that, you know? Um, but then when... Often what happens is wreckers will, like, try to use those channels and then it'll... Because the things that they're complaining about are not within the purview of the organization or, like, are not actually a problem or, like, whatever, it gets kind of, like, shut down or, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't go anywhere. And then wreckers will, like, take it to, like, the realm of cancel culture, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely, like, giving people an understanding of that process and, like, a way to sort of, like, stand up to it. And, and I think that we can stand up to it at the realm of cancel culture, too. Like, yeah. I think we can stand up to it internally, but we can also stand up to it publicly. Yeah. I can make a statement about it and be like, you may have seen, like, that there's, like, tons of posts going around that are demanding that you um, withdraw your support from an organization doing, like, really important political work right now. Yeah. And how is it that the left can claim to be the left when it is actively sabotaging organizers who are trying to do important political work, you know? Which leads me to another question I wanted to ask, which is, I'm curious if you talk to them at all about the police and how they figure into all of this. Like, you mean, like, PSYOP shit? Like, infiltrators. So, I mean, one question was, do you think that this is... Do you think that this is, like, the government? Right. Somebody did ask me that. Right. Um, And with environmentalist groups, it's like... You know, there's, like, a very good reason for people to wonder that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, like, whether it's them or not, the end result is the same. Mm. My answer was that, you know, there's that, what is that book up that, by the CIA that got leaked or whatever? Yeah, their, like, handbook on how to fuck up leftist organizations. Yeah, and so, like, that book literally described nexus behaviors, like, to a T, right? Yeah. So it's, like, you know, we know that they love it when we do this. Yes. You know? 
they probably do hire people to sneakily do it as well. Yeah. Which one's which, I'll never know. Because they all look the same, and they all probably have a septum piercing. Um, but, like, it doesn't, at the end of the day, like, it doesn't really fucking matter, man. A record's a record. Like, whether it's a cop or it's, like, someone from within your own community, if they are trying to undermine the political work of your organization by derailing it through a bunch of, like, cancel culture bullshit, they're a wrecker. Yeah. Um, and so, I definitely think that, like, you know, there can be infiltration happening. Um, but if these are the tactics that they're using as infiltrators, like, I think that the response is basically the same because what it, what it would mean is that like, this would no longer be like an effective way for them to infiltrate. Yeah. If we had this organized response to it where we were just like, that's recordism, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, we have like our channels for feedback and we have a mechanism through which we like, you know, handle disputes in our org and like, we don't waste a lot of time on it because it's not our primary purpose, but like, we're happy to implement boundaries where needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of basic like that. Yeah. Um, you know, then this would not be an effective way to derail leftist organizers. Right. And so they would probably have to start doing crazier shit. Um, but at least we wouldn't be dealing with that. Yeah, it would definitely remove, like, a really easy tool. Yeah. Yeah. And one that we are doing for free for them anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well, honestly, that sounded like a really cool, uh, cool talk. Yeah. I'm excited to do one with you. Yeah, we have a few more coming up. I also wanted to say that if anyone listening to this episode is like, down, like, I want... Clementine and Jay to, like, come to our organization and do it. Like, I think that it's something that we're willing to continue offering for free to people doing political work on the left. It honestly feels to me like, uh, like, I'm finally, like, I have something to contribute to the movement, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, like, I have something that is needed that nobody else wants to do because it's fucking really scary to be the person doing this. Um that I'm good at and that, like, I can fucking contribute, you know? So I'm, like, happy to do it. And, like, there's so many other organizers who are doing such important political work. And, like, if this is a way that I can help, like, I'm really happy to help um, empower people to start, you know, thinking about ways to push back and to, like, have conversations about it privately within the org so that people can start to shake off some of the anxiety about it and to start strategizing. So please feel free to um, get in touch with us about that. We're quite booked up for the next few months. But, you know, if you're okay with, like, scheduling a few months down the road, we will meet you on Zoom and talk about cancel culture with your organization. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's it for today. All right. Thanks for being with us.